Praise the Lord. You guys stand up. I'm going to ask Jude McGarvey to come on up, read Romans 2, 1 to 4. You guys read it with him from the screen. And um, amen. Let's, let's get some word. Come on up, buddy. Come on. Let's, uh, let's read the word of the Lord together. You, therefore, have, have no, no excuse. excuse. You, you who pass judgment, judgment on, on someone else. else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show show the contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Amen. You guys stay standing. Jude's going to pray for our time in the Word. Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you that your Word is true and that it's for us today, that it doesn't change. Lord, thank you that you are faithful to speak to us. Thank you for your servant, Neil. Speak through him today, Lord. Give us ears to hear your word. May we not just be uh, hearers only as well. Just make us, make us also doers, God. I pray that you would prompt our hearts, soften our hearts, um, and uh, turn, uh, turn our hearts towards you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you. You guys can have a seat. <coughs> I'm convinced that God is lovingly but pretty regularly working to expose weaknesses in our character so that he can transform us. I am convinced that God is working relentlessly but always lovingly to expose weaknesses in our character so that we can be transformed. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Not too many amens there. Yes, Lord, expose me. Praise the Lord. St. Patrick. How would you have responded? Evidently, many of you know his story. How would you have responded if at 16 years old, raiders entered Beverly, Danvers, your village, took you away to a foreign land to have you be an indentured servant, a slave? Talk about an exposing moment. How did Patrick respond? From his own confessions, he says this. I, Patrick, A sinner, a most simple countryman, the least of all the faithful and most contemptible to many, had for father the deacon Calpurnius, whose dad was a deacon in the church, son of the late Potitus, a priest, so his grandfather was pastor, of the settlement of Banavem Tabernay. He had a small villa, my grandfather, he had a small villa nearby where I was taken captive. I was at that time about 16 years of age. I did not indeed know the true God, and I was taken into captivity in Ireland with many thousands of people, according to our deserts, or according to our having left God. For quite drawn away from God, we did not keep his precepts, nor were we obedient to our priests who used to remind us of our salvation. And the Lord brought down on us the fury of his being and scattered us among many nations, even to the ends of the earth where I in my smallness am now to be found among foreigners. And check this out for his perspective on it. I cannot keep silent, nor would it be proper. So many favors and graces 
has the Lord deigned to bestow on me in the land of my captivity. For after chastisement from God and recognizing him, our way to repay him is to exalt him and confess his wonders before every nation under heaven. Wow. I don't know that I would have the grace to respond that way if I was taken captive to another land. But he did. And you know the rest of the story? You know how Patrick, it was really similar to King David in that he was a shepherd in Ireland. That was kind of what he did in his servanthood. And it was there that he just experienced the presence of God. He started to commune with God. He started to abide in the Lord. And God started to speak to him. And in fact, six years into his being enslaved, God spoke to him, now's your time to escape. He said, you do well to fast because I'm getting you ready to escape. And at God's prompting, he went east back towards the eastern shore of Ireland with some other folks, picked up a boat and found himself back home. And actually, they experienced some miracles on, the, on their, once they were back in um, Britain, the 28 of them or so were, were together uh, who had been on this ship and they were starving. They had not had food. And they turned to Patrick and they say, you're the Christian here. We're about to die. We're, we're, we're dying here of starvation. Pray to your God. And so Patrick prays. And sure enough, a whole herd of swine, of pigs come through that they're able to feast on for a little bit. Patrick, being a man who is wanting to serve God, becomes a priest because that's what you do when you're passionate about Jesus in those days. He becomes a priest, but he's always aware of the fact that he's behind because he lost six years in Ireland. He wasn't the same kind of rhetorically, linguistically. He wasn't, as, he wasn't up to snuff with his other priests. But then God visits him. You know this? And much like Paul got the Macedonian call, Patrick got this call from a man named Victorious who he saw in a vision in Ireland saying, come to us, preach the gospel. Holy youth is what he said. Holy youth, come, come back. And so Patrick came back. Wow. In his enslavement, his character got exposed. And what did God find? God transformed him to a man who was humble enough and soft enough in God's presence that when God called him back to the land of his captors, he would go. What about you? What about me? When God exposes the weaknesses of our character, what do we do? Well, guess what? We're going to let Paul expose the heck out of us, okay? Through Romans 2. This is kind of big guns. It's a little bit hard to get through. We're going to ask God for the grace. And um, I believe that Paul wants to show us that character is what counts more than our churchianity. Okay, it's a character that counts because that's who he's going to aim at. He's going to aim at the religious folk and he's going to aim at your and I's religiosity, our churchianity. So everyone say character counts. That's what that's the case that Paul's going to make is that our character counts more than our churchianity. So let's look at Romans two together and um, let's look at three different sections of this chapter and see how does character count specifically? How does it count more than our churchianity? Romans two, one. You, now watch out, you, because before this in chapter one, Paul's been saying they, 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 remember we added last week, they, the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket, they, 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 right? This is the picture I get when I start with this, you therefore have no excuse. I kind of feel like I'm a soldier walking behind a tank, Paul, the apostle is in that tank, boom, 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 he's firing ahead, they, they, the world's a mess. God's wrath is justified. Tank stops. We all stop, rank and file behind him. 
You see the turret start to turn. And he starts to aim his cannons right at us. You, boom, boom, boom. And he's going to start to tear us apart. Ready? Here we go. Get ready. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same. I'll add the Hubie edition. You do the same darn things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? So character counts more than are often very correct judgments. In other words, you and I are probably making correct judgments about the earth and the world. As Paul just indicated in chapter 1, the wrath of God is justified because people are a mess. But guess what? You're a mess too. Praise the Lord. And so am I. Right? And so the problem isn't that our judgments aren't necessarily inaccurate. A lot of times our judgments of things are accurate. But the problem is, is that we're doing the same things in our hearts What did Jesus say in Matthew 15 about our hearts? He said, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what make a man unclean. And gosh, just a few minutes in my soul, and I can tell you I'm pretty unclean. And Lord, have mercy on me. I need help. I love the little teeny tiny editorial comment in John 8, the author of John's Gospel. Uh, has included with the story of the woman caught in adultery. Do you remember that little comment that is added? When Jesus is so gracious and kind to the woman caught in adultery, he says to everyone, hey, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. And it says people start to leave. And which people start to leave first? The older ones. Because presumably, as you go older, presumably as you age well, you start to realize, man, I'm not as... I'm not all I, I, I thought I was, you know. I'm, I've got my problems too. Presumably you age well and you get more humble. And you realize your own limitations, your weaknesses. You see, we're all hypocrites. And I think as Christians, as churches, we are prone to a special brand of hypocrisy. And I want to throw this awesome quote out there that I found. Jorge Luis Borges was an award-winning author. He uh, got the Nobel Prize for Literature the same time that Samuel Beckett did. I think late 60s, early 70s. And in one of his stories, he's describing a character. And I read this. I mean, just get ready. Can you guys just put alcohol right here on your chest because the dagger's right to go. It's about to go through, okay? (laughs) Get ready. Here we go. (laughs) So he's describing this character. He says, he was very religious. He believed that he had a secret pact with God, which exempted him from doing good in exchange for prayers and piety. Boom. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. (laughs) At times, I exempt myself from doing good, but I'll just pray, you know. Sorry, Lord, I'll pray, (laughs) you know. Sorry I was a jerk to my spouse, let me just go pray, you know. Sorry I was a jerk to my kids, I'll just go pray. He believed that he had a secret pact with God, which exempted him from doing good in exchange for prayers and piety. I guess it's just me up here. Thank you, Lord. Okay. (laughs) But verses 2 and 3 also explain why our judgment isn't that good. And the reason is because really only God has all the information. Okay? Only God has the correct information. Right? What does 2 and 3 say? God's judgment against those who do such things 
end of chapter 1, the whole list of how awful the earth is. Only God, God's judgment is based on truth. Okay? You and I have some of the story, but we never have all the story. Only God knows people's hearts. And I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He says this, Nothing that we despise in other men is inherently absent from ourselves. We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or don't do and more in light of what they suffer. In other words, I feel like Dietrich Bonhoeffer's getting, he's approaching the heart of God on this thing. Only God has all the information. And that's part of why our judgments are just never that great. And then here in verse 4, right, where um, Paul uses the strong word contempt. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience? See, when we judge others, we are putting ourselves in the very same place of that unmerciful servant that Jesus talked about in Matthew 18. Do you remember the story? Right? A servant of a king owed that king the equivalent of millions of dollars. Right? And threw himself at the king's feet and said, please have mercy on me. And the king in his mercy delivered or uh, set him free, canceled the whole debt. And what does that servant do? He goes and turns around. And with a fellow servant who owes him the equivalent of just dollars, denarii, puts him in debtor's prison. Gosh, what a good picture of you and me. We're forgiven all of our sin by the God of the universe. And yet, as soon as I get behind the wheel (laughs) on the road in New England, all of a sudden, everyone owes me everything, right? (laughs) And I get nothing. (laughs) Man, that's our heart. And that's why when we judge, we're showing contempt for the kindness that God has shown us. So character counts more than our churchianity. Character, God's after our character. More than our churchianity. And character counts. uh, What have I said there? Something about judgment. Because, uh, yeah, more than our correct judgments, right? Character counts more than our correct judgments. So what is the antidote or what are we we to do? Well, I think the answer is right there in verse 4, Right? One thing that I've come to expect is that the Spirit in His grace is always willing to show me kindness by revealing to me where I need to improve. So now I'm just on the lookout every day for God's kindness coming to me in the form of a convicting thought that says, Neil, that was unloving towards your awesome, beautiful, wonderful wife, Kelsey. That was a little bit harsh towards your own kids. That was incorrect how you dealt with that friend. And so the Holy Spirit, he's always showing you kindness. He's always showing you kindness that leads you toward repentance. As one pastor I heard say, he says, I just get up and I repent. I love that attitude. Let's just get up and believe that God wants to deal with our character by teaching us how to repent. Amen? Okay, second thing. Second way that character counts. Let's look at this next little section. Walk with me through it. 5 to 16. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God, now quoting from Psalm 62, will give to each person according to what he has done. I'll explain shortly. It's actually a very positive quote. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth, And who follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. 
And then Paul's going to set up a little hypothetical here. All who sin apart from the law, and the law, remember, is just the whole revelation that God gave to Israel at Sinai, right? The Ten Commandments and everything with that. God's saying, I'm holy. Here's how I'm holy. You be holy like me. So all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For, ooh, something Jude just prayed. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight. But it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip to verse 16. This will, because the thoughts are connected here. NIV does a good job of putting that part in parentheses. So let me just read 13, then 16. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight. But it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Verse 16. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares Now to 14 and 15. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences, also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now defending them. Whew! Praise God. Okay. Character counts. You know why character counts? Because it's how God will actually judge us. Okay, character counts because it's how God will actually judge us. Let's walk through a little bit. Verse five. Ooh, this one's another dagger. Get ready. Because your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Okay, God is going to judge us in his righteousness. And when I read this verse, I'll just tell you what comes to my mind and we can process it together. What comes to my mind is the fact that I am sad about the places where I live in a cheap grace. What Bonhoeffer called cheap grace or indicated cheap grace. In other words, there's plenty of situations in my life where you just go, oh, thank you, God. I'll I'll be forgiven, you know. Thank you, God. I'll be forgiven. Because I read this scripture and I read something different. That where I store up for myself cheap grace, God's actually storing up a little wrath. I don't know how it's all going to come down. I mean, as you read in faith groups this week in 1 Thessalonians, we have great, great comfort in the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who's received all the wrath of God for our behalf. I, in other words, I'm not talking about losing my salvation, but I, I do believe that there's a recompense in heaven according to what we've done, and Scripture attests to that, okay? So that's my thought. Lord, where I'm living in cheap grace, where I think, eh, God will turn the other way, There's incredible grace for me in Jesus Christ. But at the same time, God's after my character. He wants me to be transformed and he's relentless to do so. And God's righteous judgment is coming. Verse 6, and how I know this is because of verse 6. God will give to each person according to what he has done. Now, it's a very positive reference. Psalm 62, the whole tenor of Psalm 62 is all this stuff is happening. All this bad stuff is coming my way. I'm going to stand strong. I'm going to stand up for God. You know, I'm going to keep walking in righteousness and God will see me. God will see what I've done. So please make sure you take the positive tenor of that verse, which is, hey, God's going to reward you. His heart, as we mentioned last week, God wants to reward us. He wants to give you according to what you've done out of faith and hope and love. Those will be your treasures before heaven. Okay. Persistence in doing good to those Seven, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory. It is okay for you to seek glory. We want to seek the glory of God. To those who, persi- or who are persistent in doing good seek honor. It is okay for you to seek 
the well done, good and faithful servant that Jesus talks about in, the, in his gospels, right? That Jesus wants to proclaim over you, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me tell you, that's going to be the best validation you've ever received, right? I talked to you a few weeks ago about how I get validated when people text me. That's going to be nothing, okay? But when God texts me, well done, good and faithful servant, I will be very glad. Because really, his opinion is what matters. Praise the Lord. Not all of my text friends, although thank you for texting me back when you do. Okay, it's okay to seek that honor. And immortality, okay? Paul here is appealing to, uh, in the, there's a lot of Greek thought here that um, if you just adhere to the correct philosophy, you'll obtain uh, uh, you know, immortality. And Paul is saying, hey, actually, it's not by adhering to philosophy. It's by doing good, okay? It's by obeying God that you will um, obtain that immortality, right? And let me just pause here and say, Paul isn't advocating for a works-based gospel. I could see some of the forward brows just a moment ago when I was talking about the judgment of God. Paul's not talking about a works-based thing. He's, he's taking the same tone as James, where James is basically saying, hey, show me your faith, and there should be some works that follow it, right? Our faith is genuine, and because we follow Jesus, real fruit will be born. Luther, of all people, right? Martin Luther, who was the man as far as we're saved by grace through faith, he said this, oh, oh, everyone say oh. Oh, just good to start a sentence like that, get people's attention. Oh, it is a living, creative, active, mighty thing, this faith. So it is impossible for it to fail to produce good work steadily. You wouldn't expect that from Luther. He said it, not me. So you see what I'm saying? Like we, we do good because we got good inside us. We do good because we are good. We got Jesus who is good living inside us. And Jesus is actually pulling for us all the way that come judgment day we'll rejoice and not be grieved. All right? Amen. So, if we reject the truth, follow evil, there will be wrath and anger for everyone. God doesn't show partiality, right? And let's take 11 to 16 together. Because God is impartial, it is actual behavior that counts and will be judged. In other words, the law, right? The law isn't just this good luck charm that can be worn and kind of hidden behind, right? We can come to church every Sunday and hear the word, but unless we are obedient, what good is it? Can I say that again? We can come to church, show up to faith group every Sunday, Wednesday, whatever. We can show up at our prayer meetings. But unless we are obedient to what God is speaking to us through the word, what does it matter? Help me, Lord. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I can preach every Sunday and it's not going to count a lick unless I'm doing what God's called me to do. Do you see? There's, when we come to the judgment of God, it's all about your character. It's about my character and actions that come from character not actions that are out of pretending, okay? Persistence in doing good. Yeah, so what are we to do? If character counts, and if character and the actions that come out of our character are how we will actually be judged, what are we to do? Well, I think the, the verses in 7-11 are a clue here, okay? Verse 7 says we are persistent in doing good, and 11, because we know that God does not play favorites, Right? God does not play favorites. Like Jesus said to the people today, you're going to be surprised who gets in the kingdom because God doesn't show favorites. Amen? So thank you, Lord. What are we to do? Character counts. It's how God's going to actually judge us. So we're just going to persist in doing good. Keep moving towards doing good. Keep moving towards doing what God tells you to do. Amen? All right, so character counts more than our correct judgments. Character counts because it's how 
God will actually judge us. As we move into this next section, character counts more than our churchianity, okay? Paul now pulls it all out. Why? He pulls out all the guns. He uh, pulls out the big guns. And why do you think he's so intense? Why do you think Paul's so intense against the Jews? Hazard a guess. Yes. Okay? Paul has been through. What he's, when you hear these next few verses, just keep in mind that this is Paul's experience. Paul himself, Jew of all Jews, zealous for the law. He is, because God has dealt intensely with him, he is able to deal very intensely with the people to whom he is speaking. Let me remind you something about that, about that also, just historical context. Remember, I mentioned a few weeks ago, the church at Rome had been through a really interesting thing. And the church at Rome, Paul had not been to yet. But here's what the church at Rome had been through. One of the emperors got so tired of all this mess that was happening with the Christians, he didn't realize that he couldn't distinguish the Christians from the Jews. So he just said, you guys are making so much trouble in the city, I kick out all the Jews. So all the Jews have to leave. The Gentile Christians can stay. As a result, the Roman church goes through a time where it's the Gentiles who become kind of the the movers and shakers in the church because all the Jews are kicked out. Emperorship changes. There's some wind that I've, I've forgotten. The wind changes a little bit. So the Jews, the believing Jews and other Jews start to come back into Rome and they come to a church that is now kind of led by Gentile Christians. And that's hard for them because pretty much in all the churches around the world, or I should say potentially that's hard. We, we you know, um, scholars and historians kind of have to make some guesses about this, but it seems like that could be one of the issues that Paul's dealing with is that the Jews are all bent out of shape because now their church is being led more by Gentiles. So keep that in mind as we read these things, okay? Boom, boom. 17 to the end. Now you, <laughs> remember he hasn't met these guys yet. This isn't the best letter to write. He didn't really go to a finishing school. I don't think Paul did. Here we go. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written from Isaiah, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So, Jews got a couple of things. They got the law, and now they got circumcision. In other words, they've got this sign that they belong to God. So, Paul just nailed them on the law, and he's going to nail them on circumcision. 25. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you've become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as they were, as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who even though you have the written code and the circumcision are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. Such a man's texts Come from God, not from men. Praise the Lord. That's what I'm looking for. Okay? Your character counts more than your churchianity. 
Okay, the Jews could hide behind their law. They could hide behind their circumcision. What do you and I hide behind as 21st century North American Christians? What do you hide behind? When God's got your number, when he's calling you to obey, when he's, asking, when he's inviting you to a little more obedience, what do you do? I love what this pastor Kyle Eidelman says from his blog. Kyle Eidelman is pastor of, it's like the fifth largest church in the United States. 20,000 people he preaches to every Sunday. I'm not jealous. Maybe just a little. <laughs> But if I'm jealous, it doesn't count. It'll get judged. <clears throat> so, all right. This is from his blog. And in this blog, Kyle Eidelman makes a distinction between fans of Jesus and followers of Jesus. He says this. These religious types were the fans that Jesus seems to have the most trouble with. Fans who will walk into a restaurant and bow their heads to pray before a meal, just in case someone is watching. He's definitely from Kentucky. Not from New England. Fans who won't go to R-rated movies at the theater but have a number of them saved on their DVR at home. Fans who may feed the hungry and help the needy, and then they make sure they work it into every conversation for the next two weeks. College crew, you're exempted. You had, good, you had a good heart when you shared what you did. <clears throat> Fans who make sure people see them put in their offering at church, but they haven't considered reaching out to their neighbor who lost a job and can't pay the bills. Fans who like seeing other people fail secretly because in their minds it makes them look better. Fans whose primary concern in raising their children is what other people think. Ugh. Fans who are reading this and assuming I'm describing someone else. <laughs> <laughs> Fans who have worn the mask for so long, they have fooled even themselves. Ouch, right? What am I hiding behind? What are you hiding behind? It's not going to matter a lick come judgment day because God sees right through it all. He's so good. So what's our answer here? What are we to do? Secret's all right there in verse 29, right? We are to embrace the circumcision of the heart. God is always after making a sign between you and him in your heart. And you know what the fruit of it is? The fruit of it is that last part where it says, "For this, this, your praise will come from God and not from man. All right? That's what God's wanting to do with us. Circumcising our hearts in such a way that all that we really care about is this audience of one. God, what do you think about my decision, my life, my words, all this? Because let's just get this picture. I'm trying to ask God for more of a revelation of this anyways. At the judgment day, one person's opinion of my entire life will count for the rest of eternity. And that is God's. So who in the world am I to question God and, and fight back with him when he invites me to do this, that, or the other? It's really actually silly, just purely from a logic standpoint, right? The rest of our eternity, the quality of our eternity. I'm not talking about your salvation. If you're a follower of Jesus, that is sealed in jesus there's a whole theological can of worms we i don't want to let's not open that one right now but you're in jesus but there's other references in scripture that just indicate that still there's judgment for us okay judgment belongs in the house it begins in the house of god we're judged first then comes the white throne judgment that revelation talks about white throne judgment is heaven or hell but that first judgment, the, the bima, the seat of judgment, also spoken in Revelation, is that's um, reward. That's where God wants to reward you based on your response and faith, hope, and love to him. Right? So let us get it settled in our hearts that we're living for the audience of one. Let's let the Holy Spirit circumcise our hearts so that what we care about is praise from God and not from men. Amen? Character counts. Everyone say it. Character counts. Right? More than our churchianity. What are we to do? Number one, kindness. We're to expect the kindness of God through the Holy Spirit convicting us of our sin moment by moment. 
He wants to do it. He loves to do it. Don't, don't harden your heart to it. But get in that place where you're knowing that it's coming every time. Second thing, cultivate that persistence in doing good. Okay? Cultivate that persistence in doing good because God doesn't show favoritism. And third, like we just said, circumcision of the heart. Be, be aware that what God is doing is circumcising your heart so that you live for that audience of one. Because like St. Patrick, if we realize how much character counts, we'll start to bear fruit. You know, that's the other thing is we will start to bear fruit. Listen to the fruit of St. Patrick's life. I want to talk about inward fruit and outward fruit. And the worship band can come on up as we get ready to respond and just worship Jesus. Listen to this inward fruit. You probably know this prayer. Christ beside me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ within me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. You know that prayer. That's St. Patrick. He had such a revelation of what it was to abide in Jesus, right? That's some pretty good inward fruit, right? Listen to this outward fruit. And, and, and I wish I could give you the whole context to understand that what he's saying here is totally humble. And what I'm about to share, Patrick, the, with the context of what he was saying, this is from his Confessions of St. Patrick, translated most recently in 1998 by a guy named John Skinner. The whole context of this was, I am such a weak man. It's amazing what God's done. Here's what he says. How is it that in Ireland, where they never had any knowledge of God, but always until now cherished idols and unclean things, they are lately become a people of the Lord and are called children of God. The sons of the Irish and the daughters of the chieftains are to be seen as monks and virgins of Christ. That's a good thing. In other words, he was just reflecting on the fact that there's been a mighty move of God here in Ireland. And as many of us know, you know, you've heard the titles of the books, like How the Irish Saved Civilization. Really, there was a deposit of the Spirit in Ireland in that time that really did preserve Christianity for years to come. All because one man, I mean, I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly all the, you know, we'll get to heaven and realize who was working in concert with St. Patrick. But at any rate, Patrick allowed the Holy Spirit in his captivity, to expose his character, transform it. And he just kept walking with the Lord over years. And because he did, he bore great fruit for God. And that's what God wants for you, okay? Remember that he wants to reward you at judgment. He's not out to tear you down. Actually, the total opposite. The Holy Spirit is so wanting to build you up and prepare you for that day. So it's a day of rejoicing. We meet with him. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's stand up. Let's respond to him. <coughs> character counts. More than our churchianity. God help us. And I actually think, by the way, the less churchy we get, the more people are going to be here, by the way. Did you know that? The less churchy this church is, the more people are going to be in these seats. It's not my only model for church. Like, we need to bring church out to the, you know, just what the, the college team did. We need to bring church out there, and we should in the streets, and we'll figure out different ways we can. But, man, the less churchy we get, the more we let God deal with our own character. Watch out. People are going to want to be here on Sunday mornings. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, this is your word. It's too much for me. I'm aware of my own judgments on me. And um, uh, <clears throat> Holy Spirit, help us to sort it all out. Uh, Holy Spirit, help us to sort out the character of God. You're good. You're loving. You're faithful. And it's actually in your loving kindness that you want to get us prepared for the final exam of our lives, God. It's not because you're mean or a taskmaster or delight in death. Actually, Ezekiel makes that really clear. You don't take delight that any should perish, but that, you know, people should come to God. So, Holy Spirit, 
Help us to sort it all out. Remind us again that what counts is our character. Not how people respond, not how they interpret what we're doing or what we're saying, but how we live unto God. Seeking the praise of God and not the praise of men. Oh God, change us. We're so weak. We're so fickle. We're dust. You know that we're dust and in dust we're going. So we really need the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow through and do that circumcision of heart by the Spirit, just like Paul mentioned. God, we repent of our judgments and just our judgmental attitudes. We think we have the whole picture, but we never do concerning our brothers and sisters. We never do. We never do. Lord, we just kind of uproot that judgmental thing in our hearts. And let our default be grace, believing the best. Let our default always be believing the best for others, God. Those who know you and those who don't. Bless you, Lord. Peter's instruction to us was to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We're growing in the knowledge of Jesus because we know that he cares about character more than us being churchy. Thank you for telling us that today. Help us to act on it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you want to be together for the next 10 minutes or so and worship the Lord and just know that Again, the altar is always open for you to respond. If God's doing something in particular, you want prayer, you just want to deal with the Lord, please come. And we'll have some of our prayer team is here. Um, be, please be, uh, you're welcome to grab one of the prayer people. If you're not getting prayed for and you're like, hey, pray for me, then just wave a hand, grab someone. They'll have a little, um, what are those things called? Lanyards, badges. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. They'll have those. So anyways, let's worship. Let's pray. Let's be the church. Amen.